What's the matter? You came here expecting to listen to the spin-off doctors, and instead, you found the movie boys? <laughs> Son of a bitch. Welcome to the spin-off doctors. I'm your movie boy, Jim Sterling, and I'm joined by my movie boy, Conrad Zimmerman. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Jim? I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, this is the second time we've recorded a lot of this, so yeah. we're just gonna we're gonna pretend all the goofs and the gags are new, uh, which is good because we're both charlatans, so we'll get through this <laughs> no problem. It'll be it'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Um, I'm feeling I'm still feeling energetic and hyped because. I can't talk about Street Fighter the movie enough. It's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal movie. I I didn't expect it to yes, this, be as well, enjoyable. This was, your, this was your first time viewing it, right? It really was. Yeah, I I had heard it was awful, and I was never a huge Street Fighter fan, so I mm-hmm. just said, screw it, I don't need to watch this, uh, until we decided we would do this, and I needed to watch this. Yes, yes, and... And I'm glad I did. I really am. Um... I yep. think that's a lot of people come to it. They hear it's terrible, and when they watch it, they find out that I mean, it's terrible if you are looking for a faithful representation of Street Fighter. You want to watch the animated movie for that, and uh, even for something still, more though, serious. Like they they try so hard. Like they go to such great lengths to include as much of the Street Fighter Two stuff as they can, while still making a cohesive movie. Oh yeah, I mean, when we get to the analysis section of the show, I, 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 there's something that they do, that they work very hard to do, that they didn't need to do, that, that I really want to talk about, that shows just how oddly dedicated they were to being as faithful to Street Fighter as possible while being not faithful to Street Fighter at all. It's, it's this impressive dichotomy the film's going, uh, got going on. Um, but a lot of people, I think, I think so long as you understand that the movie's a comedy, you start to enjoy it a lot more. Like, it's not... It's not a Street Fighter movie so much as it is a comedy version of Street. I mean, it's it's very much like Rush Hour. Is is my main point? <laughs> is that Street Fighter the movie is a comedy like Rush Hour? It's a it's a fish out of water tale. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's got fighting in it. It's got laughs in it. It's got a serious side. But at the end of the day, we all have a laugh, just like in Rush Hour. Yes, uh, that's. I think that's a fantastic, perfect comparison. So. Street Fighter, for me, was not a game that I played. Like, I, I mean, I did play it because I think it was impossible to be a teenager in the 90s and not have played Street Fighter 2 at some oh, yeah. point along the way. I had a magazine, I had a video game magazine that had the moves in it. You know, like, like down, uh, <laughs> down, <laughs> down, diagonal town left you, you, and that stuff the quarter turns and everything and my brain could never really comprehend it like i can't play street fighting i still like... still can't do a dragon punch i still can't no no i, I struggle ca- I, I can't make rio go a crop to purchase when he spins around does his kick See, now he does. Th- that one i had more success with uh-huh yeah yeah now when i when i was you know young and, and playing street fighter I, I i typically played uh guile um, mm-hmm. because his sonic boom was easier to throw than the Hudouken. Right, yeah, yeah. And uh, and he had that up-flip kick that I liked. Mm-hmm. So I, I typically played Guile, but I mean, it was I mean it, it was everywhere. You couldn't avoid Street Fighter 2. No, no, I mean, um, even, I, even I would give it a go, because I, I mean, I couldn't, 
and still can't do fighting games of any description. Um, I have Street Fighter V, which was a bad idea, because I, say, I said to myself, that'll be the one that I, a casual scrub, will learn. And then it launched functionally useless for casual scrubs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I did, I did play Street Fighter V, and I made the camera change on Vega once. Which made me very proud, uh, because when the camera changes, that's a special move, isn't it? So I can make him do a little rolly stab, um, so that's good. But back in the day, it was just Blanca, because everyone who didn't know how to play Street Fighter played Blanca or E-Honda or Chun-Li, because they were the ones where you could smash a button and they did a move. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, Blanca was the most attractive character, I think, just to someone coming to the game for the first time because he's visually so different and yeah. you know for i mean you got to qualify the word attractive there right yeah well i mean but as a, for a few if you're a, pu- a pubescent boy the monster character that that works really yeah. well there's yeah. a connection there yeah. i mean i've never been interested in you know the more normal characters anyway i no. always found ryu um ryu however you want to say it. it's your choice um, <laughs> not not in the street fighter movie we'll not get in the it. street fighter movie um i always found him kind of boring to watch like i used to watch my brother play more than i play myself and he always picked him and and i was just like they just sit there just doing hadoukens and all the boring all the real fighting moves outside of that and i'm like i want to see i want to see dal zim because he had stretchy arms and legs mm-hmm. and i wanted to see blanca because he was a big green incredible hulk who could do uh lightning and make people's skeletons come out what's not to love really there, there is, what that comes there is down to. nothing not to love and he danced like a monkey when he won street fighter the movie it's 1994 so it's mm-hmm. a couple of years after the release of um street fighter 2 and 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 that becoming a massive worldwide phenomenon it was i mean it's it's Hard to remember now. I mean, obviously, it's still got a lot of pedigree, but back then, I mean, it was, it was, it was pop culture. It was, it was. Well, and it, and it opened the door for other fighting games. I don't think Mortal Kombat uh, would have been what it was without Street Fighter coming along and and no. making that uh, a thriving uh, genre of video game. The exact same thing can be said about Primal Rage. Uh, certainly. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, 1994 film. Now, this this is uh, directed and written by Stephen E. D'Souza, um, who actually has a considerable amount of success. Like this, that the talent involved in making this film is not without, you know, um, it exists. It's there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, and again, you look at it, and it's it's a well produced movie. It's got great costume design. It's got good set design. It's filmed incredibly professionally, um, directed very well, performed very well by some actors, and, and and it's really not a bad movie. No, because as I've said before, this is this is a classic '90s comedy like Rush Hour. Well, and the, the script, uh, the, the the screenwriter and the director, um, he is also responsible for the the screenplay for Die Hard. Okay. And Die Hard Two. Mm-hmm. And I can uh, see that he did the screenplay for The Running Man. Um, Judge Dredd, the 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 Stallone the one, the Stallone one, which, by the way, I will defend to <laughs> my dying breath. That movie, that movie is amazing. Um, he also, uh, we'll, we'll see him again uh, in Lara Croft Tomb Raider 
uh, Cradle of Life. He wrote the screenplay for that also. Uh-huh. Or, or no, so he wrote the story for that, not the screenplay. But anyway, so he's got a pedigree. The uh, producer of the film is Edward R. Pressman Jr., who uh, he is the uh, one of the, the sons of the Pressman Toy uh, Company founder. Uh, so he had money and he decided to become a film producer and he has produced so many fucking amazing movies like stuff that you're like holy shit this guy also made the street fighter movie so anyway he uh um, just did he did he produce rush hour no he did not he did not that surprises me that surprises me he did however produce the crow uh Mm -hmm. bad lieutenant right hoffa uh, oh, yeah. I mean, fucking. Um, well, Street Fighter deserves to be up there with those. Doesn't he? Doesn't it though? I mean, it's, it's... the perfect. It is a perfect film. He, no, and, no, and yeah, what it does did... and what it sets out to be, Street Fighter is perfect he, he... and deserves to be next to Hoffa. On the other side, he did also produce the Crow Wicked Prayer. Ah, uh, that the Ed Furlong one. Yes, that's my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> and Party Monster, by the way, which it. If you haven't seen it, it's about a true crime here in New York City. Um, uh, the uh, uh, Michael Alig is a guy who uh, became famous in the clubs mm. and then wound up killing his drug dealer with Drano. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. It's good a great movie. Great movie. And it stars Macaulay Culkin and mm. uh, Marilyn Manson's in it. Go watch that. That's fine. That's fine work. It, it is. It is fine, fine work. Um, and American Psycho. Pressman produced American Psycho. Also. Lovely. So yeah, there's good people behind this, it's, and it shows. It I'm, shows. I'm not, not going to do that. Oh, this is really good. Like this is. Let's all be surprised at how great everyone is who worked on it. Yeah. Because it shows. Because Street Fighter is a is a great is a great movie. Yeah. There are people. And I'm not even being ironic for the most part. There are people who do not have great performances in it. Oh sure. Well. But Jean Claude Van Damme's in it. I mean, that, yeah, that you see him on the poster. I mean, that's a spoiler warning right there that there's going to be some shit performances in it. Exactly. Um, and so it's not without flaws, but damn if it isn't an, an entertaining way to spend like a hundred minutes of your time. Yeah, yeah. It's it. I've seen it several times over the course of my life, and I have never regretted a single viewing. There's so, always something. I, I go back and see it, and there's always something new that's funny in there that makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of detail. A lot of little things. I uh, just burped through a closed mouth. I hope that didn't come up too bad on the microphone. Should we talk about the plot? Let's go. Let's move on to plot. So, in the small, conflicted country of Shadaloo, Shadaloo, uh, City or country. I, I, it, it's referred it's to hard sh- to tell because it looks like every stereotypical cartoon of a foreign country. Yes. Somehow it may they, just be the rest of the world. Somehow they, you know, you hear about cultural appropriation. They somehow manage to appropriate culture. Oh, yeah. I mean, when when someone in America appropriates another culture, they are also culturally appropriating the nation of Shadaloo. Because cultural appropriation is their culture. <laughs> you can't do wrong from right. Think about that the next time you dress up like a geisha, Kata Perry. Kata Perry? K- K- were you going Caterpillar? 
I, I was going to say Katy Perry, but you can't, it's apparently it's hard for me to say Katy Perry after I say the word geisha. Geisha Katy Perry. <laughs> geisha Katy Perry. There we are. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> Stumped on my satirical observations of the career of Katy Perry there. The mad anyway, gen- <laughs> Shad- 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 <laughs> The mad general M. Bison has taken 63 Allied Nations aid workers captive. Mm-hmm. Reporting from the city, journalist Chun Li, with uh, Balrog and Honda as her crew, reports on the conflict and attempts to get Colonel Guile to agree to, to, agree to an interview. Um, Guile, instead, uses Chun Li's news report to taunt M. Bison in a ploy to get the dictator to reveal his, pr- his location by breaking into the broadcast so that the AN can trace the signal, which yeah. is ultimately unsuccessful. And... The only thing that, that Van Damme... I'm, I, I hesitate to call him Guile. The only thing that Van Damme achieves with this whole attempt is revealing that M. Bison has kidnapped his friend Charlie. Right, yes. Which is a... Uh, it feels like a bit of an own goal to... Kn- knowing that you're talking to M. Bison, in your conversation with M. Bison, say, it's okay, Charlie, I'm coming for you. Because that... that if I were M. Bison... I think, hmm, he's suddenly talking to someone called Charlie and say, saying he's coming to get him. Maybe I've kidnapped his friend Charlie. And M. Bison in the movie has that exact same thought. Now, you see, if, if I were M. Bison in the movie, I would be wondering what Guile is looking at. Like, I would. Like, in this conversation, what is Guile looking at? Because it, it's, it's, it's a remote... Area. He's looking. He's looking at Bullrock. Yeah, yeah he's, he's basically, lo- he's just slacking off Bullrock <laughs> behind the camera. He's looking at Bullrock behind the camera. Like, where is the the sounded picture of Bison coming through to Guile? That just didn't. But okay, <laughs> fine. Um, yeah. So M. Bison sees this opportunity uh, with him having captured Guile's friend Charlie, mm-hmm. and sends him to his laboratory. Now this is Charlie Blanca. Just so you know. Just so that you know, it's Charlie Blanca. Charlie Blanca. They composited the characters of Charlie Nash and Blanca into one character. Well, Charlie Nash wasn't a, a, a playable character yet. No, uh, no, he was, he was only briefly mentioned in, in stories, you know, you so, know, in the, the backstory. So they maintained uh, Guile's motivation for hunting down M. Bison from the mm. games. They simply changed the character to the character who will be Blanca. Yes. Uh, so he's, he's sent down... Uh, Blanca sent down to the laboratory to be part of a super soldier program of some kind, which is being worked on by this imprisoned scientist, Dossie. Elsewhere. Well, Shadow- first of all, we've got to, we've got to really, really hammer home what they're doing in there because the, the film short. Oh, does. that's true. That's true. Because it brings out a, a bunch of IV bags <laughs> with DNA bright green mutagen. liquid. And it just says DNA mutagen just plastered on the back so that you know. It's the, now mutagen for those for our younger listeners. Mutagen was the nano machines of its day. Right, there was a time today. Yeah, nano machines explain everything these days in film TVs. Back then, in the nineties, mutagen was the reason for anything. And when we had to thank you know the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for that. Of course, that, well that, that that taught us that mutagen could turn pizzas into xenomorphs. <laughs> uh, so. Yes, so they're going to experiment with him on uh, experiment with him 
using these DNA mutagens. Yeah. They give him the Ludovico technique as well. Put a put a you know visor on his head and make him look at violent things, uh, which uh, M Bison doesn't understand why they're doing that uh, because the images don't bother him. Yeah, and that's it's, it's, when it's Dalsim refers to is as like educational programming. Yes, and Dalsim's like you know. This will bother him because he's not a psychopath like you. And we learn that uh, M. Bison doesn't like being called mad or so- sociopathic. That's, or like, that's like a key that. character trait. It, it is. It's at the core of his character. <laughs> Elsewhere in Shadowloo City, uh, con men, uh, Ken <laughs> and Ryu, uh, and it, we have to be perfectly clear, this, his name is Ryu. Yes. Pronounce it right. Yes. One thing that I love about the scene we see, because we're introduced to Ken and Ryu, two... Two comedy con men. Because remember, this is a comedy film, just like Rush Hour. Just like uh, it. They are con men slash weapons dealers. Now, the best thing about it is, while they are uh, uh, introduced in this scene, they're introduced in like this black market style scene. It's like a shady underground fighting place where Vega is having a fight in a cage match with someone. And my favourite line in this scene is... Where Ken t- tells Ryu, or it could be the other way around, but I think it's Ken tells Ryu that they're now off the streets. <laughs> this film called Street Fighter makes a point to point out that when there's fighting going on in the film, they are not on streets of any kind. In the same scene, if you listen carefully in the background, you can hear that the rap soundtrack... Directly references Street Fighter. It so does. strikes that balance. Yeah, well, it makes a, it makes a liar of the soundtrack. <laughs> if I'm being honest, it's going Street Fighter, Street Fighter. Uh, while Ken's saying, might as well be looking at the camera and saying, just so you fucking know, you you nerds, this ain't on the street. Well, and and really, can you call any of these uh, surfaces on which people drive around Shadowloo City streets? There's there, no there pavement. Are, it's like there are some no kind of third world country. There are no streets in, in the film. None. Not a single street anywhere to be found. They make up for it with fighting. They kind do. Of. They do. Sort of. Yeah. Takes them long enough. Yeah. Well, every single fight gets interrupted. Yeah. But we'll until, get there. Yeah. We'll, we'll get, get, there. There. We'll get there. there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, so Ken and Ryu have come to meet with criminal mastermind Sagat to sell him guns. Yeah. Um, when it's revealed that the guns that they brought to trade with him are actually toys. Sagat captures the pair and decides to make them fight in his cage match tournament against Vega. So Ryu's in the ring first. He decides that I'm not going to use a weapon because I'm a badass, thereby yeah. getting the crowd to encourage... Well, Vega comes out throwing roses. He does You that. know, rose petals. It's And everyone loves him. They're all screaming Vega. Um, and, Damn, and this is, he ain't a good-looking man, too. He's a handsome... He is one premium hunker boy. Well right? cast. Beautiful. They, they really did get a good Vega. He says he's got, like, three lines, but he's on camera a lot, just looking gorge. Uh, so he comes out, and this is another bit that I love in this scene, is when he's, he's got that beautiful smile, and he's being applauded. Everyone's got Vega signs. They take Ryu's shirt off, which is enough for one woman in the crowd to throw her Vega sign away. She just needs a bit of nipple, and she, she'll switch sides. And Vega turns and looks at the, the sign being thrown away with the most comic character cartoon jaw drop double take i've ever seen it's so good 
It's an amazing as he just book. stared, just and it, it could only have been better if they'd have added in a voiceover going, <laughs> "It's so good." That's just a key plot point I had to. Point it's critical, out. absolutely, absolutely critical. I, I want us to bang through on this. Yeah, we got it. Yeah, we yeah. we don't want to we don't want to waste any time. Yeah, but we got to hit the key moments as it's, well. It's like, it's important. No, you don't want to miss anything like that. That's sure. Uh, before. Ryu and Vega can begin their fight, though. They're interrupted yep. by the Colonel Guile. Of, the first of many combat interruptions we get. Colonel Guile bursts through the wall of this, uh, I don't know what you'd call the building. If it's even, it's like a ramshackle. It's like a, it's, a, it's, a, it's Sagat's crime house. <laughs> Sagat's house of crime, sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, crash through the wall of Sagat's house of crime with like missiles are mounted on this vehicle. This is yep. not the sort of vehicle that you use to penetrate a building. Um, comes in. This and... is not for civilian arrests. No, this just makes absolutely zero sense. Uh, he arrests everyone for now, curfew. For curfew, which makes me wonder, who's in charge of this country? Well, the... Is it Bison, or is it the Allied Nations? Well, that's what's in dispute, see? That's the core conflict at the heart of this entire film. Um, I know that you think it is about the kidnapping of a uh, Chinese diplomat's daughter. Yeah, well, obviously it is. It's it, They grab her in a, with a bike at the beginning. Right. But, but no, this is this is actually... Mm-hmm. Not, it's not that movie. Different right. movie. <laughs> I, it's hard to tell because sometimes I could swear that, that Street Fighter is a shot-for-shot remake of Rush Hour. <laughs> In the prison. Yeah. Guy... This, this, we're not talking about Rush Hour now. We're not. We're not. We're not. We're not. So Gat and Vega and Rayo and Ken are in prison. They're in the Allied Nations prison. And Guile has avoided an assassination attempt by some spy in Chef's Whites while he's addressing the rest of his you know, command yeah. team. Chef comes in to serve a bit of lunch, jumps on the table with a knife and tries to stab Guile. And he handles it like a champion. Like, he instantly, like, dis- dispatches him and goes right back to the conversation as if this happens every lunchtime. He is a professional. Yeah, they, I think the Allied Nations should start self-catering. <laughs> yes, I yeah. think they should stop hiring outside catering to do this because... Another important, uh, important plot point at this point. Now, I'm going to... when I, I, I try and interrupt sparingly when Conrad's doing these. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've taken it upon myself to be Vega Watch 2016 for this movie yes uh, because to be honest every time vega was on screen because of his hot bod uh, i was pretty much always looking at vega um so another important plot development at this point is that while in prison vega has made his claws again because he you know he had he has the claws in the game and he he was going to use them in the cage fight but got rid of them because ryu was like no weapons uh, but while in prison and they've only been in there like an hour i reckon oh it's uh, that if that, like, let's say 45 minutes. Because you got to keep in mind, this, this film operates under a very strict timeline. They have well, yeah. 72 hours to get these civilians rescued. So there's not a whole lot of dick and around. That's impressive quick work. Yeah, so within 45 minutes, Vega has already found three bits of bamboo, something to lash them to a glove-type thing, and little hooks. So he's made his claw again, as if he can't go five minutes without a claw. It's important. It's very important. <laughs> it's one of the few differences between this and Rush Hour. 
<coughs> so, uh, Guile witnesses this fight between Ken and Ryu and Vega, and he hatches a plan and decides to appeal to their heroic nature, this is Ken and Ryu, uh, to stage an escape and take Sagat and Vega with them while seemingly killing Guile in the firefight that ensues in order to engender trust and get them to lead them to Bison. As they escape, Chun-Li plants her wireless microphone on the getaway truck. Mm -hmm. And everyone thinks... Guile is dead and the world is mourning. He got shot in the tum-tum. Got shot in the tum-tum. The world is mourning, including Bison, who disagrees with DJ. Because um, DJ and Zangief are working for him. Yes. Um, and DJ is like, this is great news. Guile is dead. And, and Bison's like, no, I mourn him. It's very disappointing because he wanted to, to face him in, in honest combat. He was a great warrior. And when a great warrior falls, that's something to be... <laughs> More. Indeed. And then yeah. he instantly launches into this and they call me mad and does this fantastic villain speech. This whole monologue about. explaining his vision for Bisonopolis. He wants to, Bisonopolis. He wants to build a city called Bisonopolis from which he will rule the world. It's got a food court. He'll rule the world not for power, not for evil, but for good. It's, it's fucking beautiful. And fuck anyone. Who says Raul Julia wasn't fantastic? No. Because, I mean, he he made M Bison his own character. You know, we've got the canonical M Bison, and then we've got almost like Jack Nicholson's Joker or Heath Ledger's Joker. We've got Raul Julia's M Bison, and it it is its own original brilliant fucking character. It, it really is. I was I was really disappointed. I was reading some reviews of of. The film, you know, as I was, Variety uh, called this uh, one of Julia's weakest performances. Liars. And, and and their issue with this, and I'm taking this from the Wikipedia page for, for the film, uh, their problem is accentuating each and every syllable as if he were reciting a Shakespearean role of grand emotional range. Adore? How is, how is that weak? That is precisely the character he is portraying. He is portraying yeah. a character who outmat outsizes his own value and worth. Uh, like he is a dramatic, slightly yeah. goofy, mad dictator. He's a theatrical narcissistic megalomaniac, and that is exactly what Raul Julia portrayed. So fucking I fucking idiot. Yeah, morons, morons. And I'm not one who complains about reviews, because I review things myself. Yeah. It, and if I complain about reviews, you know, shitty. Uh, but in this one instance, there, Well, there are times when people are just so completely missing the point, I think, that, uh, that they, you know, they fail to see the forest for the trees. They didn't watch the film correctly. No. Now, I'm, I'm... Who was it again? Variety? Variety, yeah. I have half a mind to email them and say, right, rewatch <laughs> it. Rewatch it and consider this is a comedy just like Rush Hour. 22 years later, compare this film to Rush Hour. Compare this film to Rush Hour and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Uh, so, back in the broadcast van, Chun-Li, E. Honda, and Balrog track the signal from the wireless microphone that Chun-Li had planted on the escaping truck, but they discover a second signal, suggesting someone else is tracking it. And it's coming from inside the AN compound. Yeah. So Chun-Li goes to investigate, saying she'll regroup with the pair at the Thieves' Market. Yeah, I don't know why. 
I don't know why she decided to track the other signal instead of the one they're tracking. No, I, I, I wonder if it was supposed to be um, some kind of like, oh, maybe there's, you know, someone. I don't know. It's pretty stupid because it just makes perfect sense for them to. You be have to editorialize it. if you if you want an explanation for that. Yeah, yeah, you really do. Cause I'm, like, I'm trying to think of it as, like, does she think that there's a mole or something in there? It's like, no, it doesn't make any sense. Of course they'd be trying to track down this vehicle. Duh. But uh, she goes and tracks it down nonetheless, dressing in, you know, all black to signify that she's being sneaky. Um, she has a lot of costume changes in this, by the way. Oh, yeah, like, more than any of the others per capita. Well, well, almost every character changes costume once. You know, they go from their... Uh, street clothes to their street fighting clothes. Yeah. At some point during the film. But she changes costume like four or five times throughout the course of this. Um, so she infiltrates the AN compound to find the source of the signal, which is in the same room as the corpse of Colonel Guile, who, as it turns out, is not dead. Guile's not dead. Not dead. And is apparently a method actor because he laid on that table for hours. <laughs> he used squibs to fake his death. And uh, we learn that Chun-Li's obsession with Bison is not about journalism, but revenge. It's personal, mate. And that her revenge is of less importance to Guile than Guile's revenge. And she yeah, has... It's a whole competing revenge economy they got going on. Cammy and T-Hawk are sent to escort her to the jail, but she yep. escapes, which impresses Guile. Oh, yeah, yeah, because he's like, what a woman. What a woman. <laughs> <coughs> that sick Belgian Lothario. <laughs> there's a little bit of creeping going on it's a little uncomfortable like, just a little oh yeah it's it's grotesque it's a little leery um at the thieves market bison and sagat are meeting to complete an arms transaction imposing as a magic act chun li e honda and balrog plan to destroy the weapons but they first have to deal with ken and ryu whom she knows to be working for guile so she accomplishes this by luring Ken with the intimation of sex times happening between them. Yeah, yeah. Like Ken's, Ken follows Chun-Li into a tent to get his fuck on. Right. And she just does it, you know, does it with a look and a giggle. And you know, Ken's, I guess, just such a sucker that that's, you know, oh, okay, that immediately means sex. He's a horn dog. Like, he he wants his fat, sweaty hog to get some play. And, uh, and, and Ryu... Uh, follows Ken when he sees Ken being distracted, and it's totally not at all because he was going to watch the tent flaps. And they get caught, and Chun-Li reveals her plan to destroy the arms and warns them that they have ten minutes to escape. Yeah, which which is weird, because, because they were what doing happens a, next happens immediately. Well, they were doing a magic act right. right in front of M. Bison, who she wanted to kill. They had swords with them, they were armed and right by Bison, and then go away from Bison to blow up the weapons that Bison doesn't own. Well, I would think that they would want to live. I'm just saying, right? There are better things to do. I suppose. I suppose. I mean, Sagat is a is. I'm is just also saying, if a... I was in if I was in the same tent as M Bison. I'd come up with a better plan than now move away from M. Bison and do something to inconvenience him a bit. What, so Bison and Sagat are carrying out their deal, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And Bison's attempting to renegotiate the terms by offering Sagat half the country when his conquest is complete. Yeah. But Sagat decides to go with the lump sum payment. He wants the color of his money. It turns out to be Bison's homemade currency, Bison Dollars, which Bison promises will be valued at five times that of the British pound just as soon as he kidnaps the Queen of England. Which, again, highlights the maniacal ambitions of M. Bison. And Sagat's not happy about it. He's not, he's not. Uh, And to be honest, he should have taken the Bison Dollars because on eBay nowadays, they are worth a lot. Actually, you are uh, confusing that with a real form of American currency that was used around the turn of the century. My mistake. (laughs) I went on eBay and checked after. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) No, that's, yeah, it's it's a, a large paper currency that they used here. Um, I would love real bison dollars to be selling for a thousand bucks a pop. Ah, uh, I just saw bison dollars and thought. Yeah, it was a, a ten dollar U.S. note. Um, oh, fuck that then. Yeah, I want I want my bison dollars, and not the stickers and t-shirts with bad Photoshop bison dollars that I see. You want real? I want a bison real dollars. bison dollar in a glass frame. A Capcom should do that. That would be such a great promotional item. They'd fucking sell. They'd have. They they need to do that. We should like annoy Capcom until they make real real bison dollars. We we could do that, right? We can make them do that. Hell yeah! Right. So Sagat's understandably upset about this financial turn of events, and the two wind up in a wind up in a standoff, which Ken and Ryu, returning from their encounter with Chun Li, walk directly into the middle of. Like it's a very funny scene. They are literally saying, "This whole place is gonna blow up in ten minutes." How could things get any worse? <laughs> oh, God, they spoke too soon. Camera pulls back and, oh, no, she's, they are standing in between the two forces pointing their guns at each other. Exactly. And Bison grabs one of them and Sagat grabs the other one. And they're like, ah. And before either of them can be killed or weasel out of this, uh, Chun-Li's voice is heard from a TV set. Now, this is the shortest 10 minutes I have ever fucking experienced. Like, how long did it take them to walk from the tent to the other tent? So many events happen in the span of ten minutes like, in, in this film. It's amazing. It's, it's what I call bison time. <laughs> so which Chun- is worth five British minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Chun-Li's voice is heard from a TV set taunting bison and Sagat with the impending destruction of the weapons, which comes by another, way... Hmm? Another stupid part of their plan. Let's give yeah, let's bison warn a big them. heads up. Yeah, and they use a driverless truck to crash in, so they just sort of set that free, and off it's it so goes. Stupid. It's so stupid. It was not a great plan. It really wasn't. Um, but the weapons are ultimately destroyed. Uh, despite this, Chun Li and Associates, which I think that should be a law firm, yeah. uh, are captured and brought to Bison's secret fortress with. Well, uh, Rio and Ken rat them out. Well, no, no, they don't actually rat them out. I went back and checked this. Okay. They say that they all they say is that they are spies everywhere, and Bison infers from that statement the timing and the timing of the uh, Chun Li treachery is that they were trying to warn them about them. I say. So they didn't actually turn. Code. So they didn't really do anything. They didn't really do and anything. And let's not forget, Chun-Li didn't do anything. No. Like, really. she's... The only aggrieved party so far is Sagat, who had his weapons blown up. M. Bison didn't complete the transaction. Chun-Li does nothing to M. Bison in this. That was just... She just screws Sagat. Which, she doesn't like Sagat either. Well, no, no one does. He's a bad man. Right. 
but but she actually does nothing to hurt Sagat. No, or, or, I mean M Bison really. Not really. to be honest, I feel sorry for Sagat in this whole film. He really gets he gets fucked <laughs> over every turn, and he's just trying to do regular crime. Yeah, he's just he's just a businessman trying to make a living. All this shit going on around him. Exactly. So uh, Chun Li and associates captured, brought to Bison's secret forces with fortress with uh, Ken, Ryu, Sagat, and Vega. Uh, Ryu and Ken's interruption interpreted as an attempt to warn of Chun-Li's treachery are considered honored guests, and Zangief is sent to provide them with new clothes. Ihana and Balrog are sent to the interrogation room for torture, and Chun-Li is routed to Bison's chambers for a private interview. Yeah. With an implication. There's there's an implication. There's an implication. He wants to to seduce her. It's the implication. That's the implication. She's given a, a, a dress to wear. Um, her signifying her, what's his fourth costume change? I think so, yes. At this point, from reporter to ninja to uh, belly dancer, magic person to woman in dress. Um, yeah, so, and then comes, you know, arguably the most famous scene in the film, uh, which is well, M. Bison's chamber. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna hold off on that, because I want to deal with the, there is actually another scene that comes between that, and I want to get all of this bullshit out of the way first. Okay, yeah, let's get that, let's clear the detritus. Yeah, yeah. Back at AN Command, and now possessing the location of Bison's Fortress, Guile goes over the plan for the assault, which consists of him piloting a stealth boat up a river delta to serve as a distraction, mm-hmm. while a larger force moves in from the north. And as he's about to inspire his troops to victory, a feckless diplomat from the AN decides to comes in with orders to cancel the invasion. Played by the wonderful Simon Carlo. Fantastic. Now, rather than spoil everyone's good time... Guile gives a rousing speech to his troops about how he's going to commit a war crime and an act of treason against the AN. <laughs> That's pretty much it, yeah. I'm going to commit a, a clear war crime by ignoring my orders because, you know, the AN want to pay off and get the workers back, right. save lives. Guile decides he wants to, rather than let his troops go home after they've been stuck in Shadowloo forever. Which he brings I'm- up. Over and over again, do you want to go home? He keeps telling them, you you can go home. I don't know. None of them take it. None of them take the... the, Like, like, at one point he goes, do you want to go home uh, or do you want to go basically kill and die? And they all start cheering. And I was expecting them to go, hooray, we get to go home. It's almost Christmas. I miss my family. But no, they all get on boats. Let's kill and die. Just because... Just because Jean-Claude Van Damme said, Son of a bitch. <laughs> that son of a bitch, Bison. I'll go kick that son of a bitch, Bison says. <laughs> son of a bitch. You dickhead. Uh, now, and this, this stealth boat, packed with all this stealth technology, is very, mm. very sneaky. And has oh. Guile's name <laughs> printed in big letters White on the side. White on black. Clear as you like. <laughs> Colonel Guile. <laughs> Got his rank. Might as well have his bank details. <laughs> in Bison's private chambers, Chun-Li explains her reasons for revenge. That 20 yep. years prior, Bison raided her village and killed her father. Now, we should talk about the set here. The mise-en-scene on the, in this scene is a thing of beauty. It is it, it stunning says, set design. It says so much about the character of M. Bison with pure visual. Mm-hmm. Just pure set design. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the portrait of M. Bison on a horse looking regal and, and you know, godlike. 
uh, far too grand for for you know the real man. Right, but got... but then next to that, well, maybe not next to it, but also in that room is the other painting, the one that mm-hmm. he is clearly working on himself, and it's the it's the John Wayne Gacy style clown painting with the M Bison hat. Yes, and it's, it's it's M Bison clown. It's fucking brilliant. It's glorious, and the the reaction. That's another thing Capcom needs to sell. Yes. Oh God, that would hang in my office. Mm-hmm. I would have that. I would buy. I would own both of those paintings. Oh yeah, they are both gorgeous. But the the Gacy Bison is glorious, and the reaction Chun Li has when she sees it as she's walking around the room explaining her story is fabulous because it's just this ming na wen the actress uh she she currently performs in uh, agents of shield on abc as okay. um uh I, I i can't remember her characters may ling i think is her, her name in that and she's quite good in that she plays a sort of a stone badass character and she's much more believable as a stone badass now uh some 20 odd years later than she was in street fighter where it doesn't quite come off yeah. She's just a little too young, but she's still very expressive and very talented just with her, her face. Uh, it really carries across a lot in it. Um, so, yeah, other things in the room, this really just strange bar that he has set up, and he has mm-hmm. this uh, changing screen and, yes. and, and a hat a, rack. This hat rack, which is demonic looking, like metal bones and skulls on it. And all these different colored hats for different occasions. All, all the same bison cap. He's got one just to wear with his smoking jacket. Which, which oh is, my god, that smoking jacket is the most... Like, if well, you said to me, M. Bison wears a smoking jacket before I had seen this, this is precisely what it would have looked like. Yeah. It is the second most beautiful thing in the movie after Vega. It is fabulous. And the best thing about the hats on the rack, because you've got so many of those caps, and they're all... And this is one of those details that shows just how much they did their research while discarding everything that made Street Fighter what Street Fighter is. Every one of those hats is, like, the right colour and shade of colour of Bison's alternate costumes in the Street Fighter 2 game. You've got the white and the green and everything there. Just this wonderful, pointless visual detail for fans. So, 20 years prior, Bison raided Chun-Li's village, killed her father. Mm Mm-hmm. Assuming that she's not a threat, Bison is completely taken by surprise when Chun-Li breaks the chain holding her wrists together and proceeds to deliver... Oh, we've just skipped over the most important... Oh my god, you're right. What have I done? What have you done? What have I done? You've you've ruined us. (laughs) We're going to roll it back. Big, long, impassioned speech about how he went and killed our father while he was running, you know, a hero at 40 paces or whatever it was. And he's like, I'm sorry, I don't remember any of that. And it's all, and, and he's so, he, like, he means it. Yeah, sincerely does not recall. He's, he, and John he does, and he's sincerely sorry that he doesn't recall. Because, yeah. Like, like he's, he feels bad that he has hurt her feelings because this doesn't have the same significance It was to him. just nothing to him. And, and... And again, like, you, you look at this film, oh, it's an awful film, it's so throwaway. But very few films, I think, have actually managed to portray the one-sidedness of revenge mm-hmm. so well. Oh, yeah. Like, it's actually, and I'm not even being, I'm not being sarcastic, like, it is a perfect, and there's a reason why the line he comes, he comes out with after he says he doesn't remember is so well-known and so beloved, because it's so perfect when he says, for you, 
the day M. Bison graced your village was the most important day of your life, for me it was Tuesday. That, like, it, it just encapsulates, so it encapsulates the him. obsession uh, that's, necess- that's required for real revenge, right? Yeah. You, you have uh, taken a slight that happened to you, and that's all you are thinking about. The other person has moved on with their life and are doing all of their other shit. And it's just this poignant uh, bit of education on, on, on revenge and how kind of pointless it is. Like, I mean, even now, like, just thinking back on it, like, it still gives me a little bit of chills, even though this is a comedy movie like Rush Hour. Totally. And, and, and it is so disposable. It's, it, you know, it is junk food entertainment. And yet that line, like, despite, you know, it becoming as mimetic as it is and people, you know, playing it for its laugh value, which it does have, it's still just a, a wonderfully philosophical line, I think. Mm-hmm. It's, it is excellent writing from the guy who brought us Die Hard. Yeah. You know, what, what, what more could you ask for? Um, Nothing. So she, she surprises M. Bison and starts delivering this almighty ass kicking to him. Yeah. But she's momentarily distracted by the arrival of Ken, Ryu, Ihana, and Balrog. The latter Another pair fight that gets interrupted. Rescued by the former from the interrogation chamber. And I skipped over the interrogation chamber scene. I know that. And I'm going to get back to it because there is a, an important thing. But we'll talk about that in the analysis because I want to talk about some secondary character stuff there. So don't, don't, think that, don't think that we missed the joke. It's there. It's there. <laughs> so Guile has begun his, begun his approach to the fortress. He's putting the boat into stealth mode and destroys a pair of radar systems, which immediately alerts them to a problem. <laughs> so, They're not known for their, like, working plans, these heroes. No. No, it did not. It, it, it was, DJ spots that the radars are blown up as soon as the radars are blown up, because when you blow up radars, the people operating the radars know that the radars have been blown up. Um, oh, I forgot, that's how radars I, work. I, I forgot to mention Chun Li uh, and the heroes get captured by M Bison because Chun Li's distracted, and yeah. uh, he goes into a little panic room. Yeah, these heroes are shit. They're terrible. They're terrible. I don't know how I missed that sentence. I got so distracted by wanting to talk about the joke that I'm going to talk about later. Yeah, and because Ken and Ryu is with them, they've now outed themselves as as, as enemies as, to Bison. Yes, as turncoats. So they're all they're all fucked. They're all in the shit. They're all in big trouble with Bison, who's and Bison decides to personally deal with Guile's uh, interference by uh, using his totally sweet arcade control panel. Yep, he's in his floating desk, and he refers to it as a desk. He does refer to it as a desk. I refer to I, I refer to I will refer to it as something else later in this. Yeah, I mean it's like you know it's like a big floating command platform yeah. with the arcade panel from the Street Fighter Two arcade machine. That he uses with the sticks and the buttons and everything. He blows up the boat and he goes, Game over! It's, he, and we don't even cringe, it's so good. He's he's a button masher, though. Yes. Like, he M. Bison's a button masher. I don't want to. He's wanna, a great know, blanker player. A little bit of a scrub. That's all I'm saying. A little bit of a scrub, M. Bison is. Um, uh, so, the uh, ship, the boat that Guile is piloting is ultimately destroyed by M. Bison using these proximity mines that he's controlling with somehow. And, uh, but it's not before Guile and Cammy and T-Hawk eject from the ship and, uh, make their way to land and infiltrate the base. Yeah. We, we just take it as read that that works. Now, um, down in the lab, yeah. Dalsim has interfered with the experiments being performed on Charlie. 
He has. He has. He tells him. He's naughty scientist. He has changed the mental conditioning program halfway through from the violent imagery to that of families and Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Um, But he's discovered... Mostly images of racial equality. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I mean, this this is not that long after the L.A. riots. So... Maybe there's a, maybe it was on people's minds. Oh no, I think there was a lot of political commentary in this film. Despite of, despite it being a comedy, not unlike Rush Hour. Not unlike it's one of the few things that separates it from Rush Hour. It's one of the stops the things that stops it being a shot for shot remake. Right, it's it's all of the the political commentary. Yeah, you know maybe Katy Perry would do well to watch this movie and learn a thing or two. God. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Dalsim has been, gets discovered by a guard, and there's a, an ensuing fight, during which he is... The guard looks exactly like Jake the Snake Roberts, by the way, and I don't mean the one from the 80s. <laughs> In the fight, uh, Dalsim winds up thrown into the cart that has all the DNA mutagens on it, and it spills all over him, uh, mostly it, on it his arm. It gets a bit of it on his sleeve. <laughs> I, in fairness, I, I, if you slow it down and watch carefully, it, it's a little better. No, it's, it's really, that's mostly on his sleeve. Um, but, but they have to make sure it's shown hitting his arms. Like, that's, that's key, right? It, it, it explains something later. Right. Um, and uh, Charlie gets, intro- uh, gets released from the incubation chamber. And seeing the guard assaulting Dalsim kills the guard. Um, now, Guile, having infiltrated the base, he finds his way into the lab, discovers yeah. the mutated Charlie, and he's about to put him out of his misery, but he's stopped by Dalsim. Bison's ransom deadline, meanwhile, has passed without his demands being met, and he prepares to kill all of the hostages using Charlie, calling forth the incubation chamber to the command center. But when it opens, who comes out? Oh, it's Guile with a flying kick. It ain't Blanca. It ain't Blanca. Who does nothing in this film. No, pretty much. Pretty much nothing. Like, poor guy. Put him in all that Lou Ferrigno makeup and... uh... Yeah, I mean, when he comes out, it's a comedy moment when we see Blanca in the flesh. And again, you'd look at it and go, well, that's shit. But no, again, this is a comedy film like Rush Hour. It's, It's good that it's funny. It is. It's got a carrot top wig on and green, like, raver paint. I swear, uh, seriously, apart from that wig, he really just looks like Lou Ferrigno in The he Incredible Lou, Hulk. He's Lou Ferrigno. Yeah. They, they didn't even put much muscle mass on him. No, he was... He's just a, a relatively skinny dude in green with a, with a bright red wig. His muscle mass was supposed to have doubled, I think, through the course of this process. It didn't. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know. He looks like the angry kid. The other guy was pretty skinny, but you're right. He totally does look like the angry kid. <coughs> so, um, let's see, Dalsim stops Guile from killing Charlie. Guile, Guile jumps out of the incubation chamber. That's where right. we're at. Guile so jumps out of the incubation chamber, and all hell breaks loose. The captured warriors escape from their bonds, while Guile kills most of the guards in the room with a pistol. It seems like, but he runs out of ammo and he dispatches this one last command center dude who's not even a guard or arm. He's just running away along with a whole bunch of other people. He, he knifes him in the back. Like he's God, a monster. God, he's a monster. Guy's kind of a dick. 
driving to dealing property damage by driving his car into things, committing war crimes, violating his own army. Why is this uh, guy our hero? That's what we should be asking yeah. ourselves. Hitting on women in skeevy ways. Like the man's a month. He's a degenerate filth piece. That's what I love about this movie, is that it's all about shades of grey. Like you think oh, yeah. it's it's a, a clear cut example of good versus evil. But in reality, our good guys have a little evil in them too. Yeah, and, 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 and everyone's already rooting for M. Bison because he's the best character. Well, our, so. our villain has noble purpose, right? Yeah. So there's, oh, it's so conflicted. It's a brilliant, brilliant film. It just goes to show you that a comedy like Rush Hour can also say a it little can something have about ourselves. Yeah, yeah. have a little something there. Uh, fighting happens. Oh, sorry, yes. this, this, last, this last guard falls uh, onto, or this poor guy, I guess that he knifes in the back, serves him right, falls onto a switch that activates the red alert that goes base-wide, and everyone gets into fighting. So fighting happens. E-Honda and Zangief fight. Kami yes. and T-Hawk fight alongside the A-N assault forces. Ken and Ryu fight with each other over whether or not they should escape from the chaos or stay to help the refugees. DJ decides that perhaps now would be a good time to reevaluate his commitment to Bison. Reunited with his AN troops, Guile returns to the command center and calls out Bison, who challenges him to solo combat. They fight. Ryu watches E-Honda and Zangief fight atop the Bisonopolis model while Godzilla sound effects play. It's hilarious. Fantastic. It's a funny moment. It is a really um, good moment. It's good. Uh, Ken, well, Ryu ends up being having to fight Sagat and Vega We're almost two there. On one. We're almost there. Give, as the man in the stall said to the man waiting, give me time, baby. I'm just excited. <laughs> I, I need to get us back to Vega Watch 2016. Guile and Bison fight on Bison's floating control cockpit command center thingy. Somewhere yep. we never see, Balrog gets a pair of boxing gloves. Guy yeah. <laughs> they never do explain it, do they? Yeah, they He's do just not. got them. He's just got them. They're in a locker room, so maybe you can infer that he found it in yeah. the lock. I don't know. It don't but matter. you got to work for it. It's not going to just give it to you. A lot of editorializing needed. Guile defeats Bison, kicking him into a control panel, which electrocutes him. And as Kyle contacts Cammy for a sit rep, Bison's suit resuscitates him. In a three-stage process. His suit has in it, like, CPR and defibrillators and uh, adrenaline shots. And so it does all of these things to revive him. And then and it looks hilarious when it's pumping oh God, it's down just, the suit. It's, it's, like, it's like he's in the suit with his fists on his chest and <laughs> moving them forward <laughs> in a rhythm. Oh, it's hideous. I love it's it. It's a great comedy moment in this comedy film. <laughs> uh, in round two, Bison shoots lightning and levitates. Yes. Um, now, Sagat and Vega find Ryu and beat on him for a while until Ken comes to even the odds. He had to change your heart. Uh, Ryu sort of does a Hadouken. Ken plays with balls. Uh, Vega gets his face burned. Sagat gets his nuts slammed with a steel bar. Um, Guile does an in-air spin kick to Bison's Psycho Crusher and knocks the dictator into his TV wall, which explodes, starting a detonation sequence in the base for some reason. Um, so now, as the refugees are set free, E-Honda is dragged away from his fight with Zangief, and it's a re- that's a really cute moment. Mm-hmm. It's adorable. Uh, he, Ihana just stops fighting, says, sorry, man, can't play anymore, and charges, leaving Zangief, like, just utterly bewildered. It's, it's so cute. Um, and then he, he runs, uh, Zangief encounters the fleeing DJ, 
and learns that Bison was, in fact, the bad guy all along. Mm-hmm. And he just didn't know. He genuinely he believed gen- that Bison was good. Yep. And DJ explains no, and he's like, well, why did you work for him? And DJ's like, he paid me, like, really well. And then Zangief's like, you got paid! And we all laugh again, because it's a great joke. And so with this new information, he decides to switch sides. And he helps the refugees escape the base by holding open a door. Uh, Guile goes back for Charlie, but Charlie doesn't want to go back, and refuses. And a now bald Dalsim promises to look after him. Because the mutagen makes you bald. Right. I mean, it didn't make Charlie bald. It made him have a lot more hair that was orange. But if, if it hits your clothed arm, you go bald. Right. Uh, and, 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 and perhaps, perhaps stretchy arms? Maybe, but we never see but them. But we never see them. Saved on and the he, effects And his shirt's off there. as well now. Yes, yes. Dalton's now, like, mostly naked. I guess the mutagen melted his clothes. I guess so. Mm-hmm. A lot of editorializing needed to work that out. So having escaped, DJ and Vega discover that the box of money that they stole is all in worthless bison dollars. DJ and Sagat, sorry. Oh, sorry. D- d- sorry, DJ and Vega, Sagat. Vega, Vega we can only assume, died in the explosion in the exploding base. Oh, that's tragic. Oh, that's a real shame. Well, he had his face burnt. Probably, in his mind, wasn't worth living. I probably went through the same things as Dalsim and Blanca did. I'm so, I can see that, yeah. Yeah. He probably died in their arms. Uh, and uh, so Ken and Ryu decide... Or Ryu, sorry, I keep getting that wrong. Ken and Ryu decide to remain in Shadaloo to help with the recovery. Um, Guile makes an incredibly creepy pass at Chun-Li. It's horrible. Makes me sick. It's just gross. And everyone makes their victory pose as an explosion occurs in the background. Yay! And that's the film. That's the film. Now, there is a post credit sequence where we see the arm of Bison punching through a TV screen uh, in the base to indicate that he is still alive. Um, and then there's a computer menu that comes up, and he clicks through options and selects world domination. <laughs> Hilarious! Because this is a comedy in the vein of Rush Hour. In the vein, like, from beginning to end, it's Rush Hour. Totally. Can you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? This film is just like Rush Hour. Just like it. So, Conrad, did you like Street Fighter 2 or not? I loved it. Mm -hmm. I loved it so much. I... I laughed the whole way through. I, you know, I, I was expecting it to be something I would laugh at, but I didn't think it was something that I would laugh at all the times that it wanted me to laugh. That's it. I mean, when it's when it's funny, it's it's funny. It's not like when I watched uh, House of the Dead with a big gleeful grin. I watched this one grinning like with genuine joy. Like this film is joyful to me. Mm-hmm. I always love to watch it. And I always find it funny. And when I say it's a comedy movie, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making a, a, a bit of a goof. But it is a comedy, sincerely. It is meant to be entertaining and lighthearted and funny. And pretty much all of its comedic beats hit. And I mean, a huge part of that is thanks to Ral Julia, of course, whose portrayal of M. Bison is not just, not just great by the standards of a video game themed movie. He does a great movie character. It's, it's a great comedic villain yes yes um tragically of course this is uh raul julia's final acting role uh he was quite sick which uh, sort of serves to explain why he was as 
pale and thin as he was in the film, but at the same time, it totally works. Well, it speaks to his talent that, like, he made that work for him. Like, he he was able to accentuate his own physical appearance to to be more mad and, like, mad-looking and more maniacal and more, you know, comedy-scary. Right. Because, you know, the character itself is too goofy to be genuinely frightening, but in his world, in the context of of the film... He is a scary man, uh, and and he just he works it so fucking well. And again, I mean, you know, he was very very sick, but the manic energy he brought to the character and the role, I mean, it speaks volumes as to what a talent he was. That he, it didn't show. He you know? he is you know I I I gave a lot of credit to Ming uh, Ming Na Wen earlier about uh, her facial expressiveness, um, and, and the, you know, it's, it, she's not anywhere near on the level of what Raul Julia accomplishes in this. No, I mean, the way his eyes bug out and nostrils flare when he's grinning and stuff, like, it's just, it's so good. His eye rolls are Mm -hmm. tremendous. The scene where he is releasing Charlie, so he thinks, uh, to kill the refugees, uh, and he's, he's talking about how he's going, I'm going, you know, you will be killed with a monster, Born of my own genius. And he has this eye roll that he does when he talks about the monster as he's just like fantasizing about how glorious his creation is going to be. That it's just chilling. It works so amazingly well. He's just a, a tremendous, tremendous talent. Um, yeah. And also, really, like, he brought a lot of himself to the role. I mean, one of the genuinely funnier lines in the movie was Raul Julia's own ad-libbing when Sagat is uh, talking about how Guile is somehow still alive after they blow up the boat and Raul Julia says you know he escaped and then covers one eye like a hand over one of his eyes to make fun of Sagat's eye patch and goes but I guess you didn't see that and that was Raul Julia like make he made that up for the on set uh, and and there was just stuff like that. Like he clearly was just having a ton of fun in the role and getting into it and goofing around. And again, like I, I f- to call it a weak performance, I feel is is just so fundamentally and philosophically wrong because he gave that role everything he had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He he gave that role uh, far more than I think just about anybody else would have. Like, he truly committed to it. And Yeah, the only person who put in as much effort was Jean-Claude Van Damme, just because it takes, that I much think, 90, 98% of his brain to act that, uh... that with that level of mediocrity. It takes a lot more from Van Damme than it does for Raul Julia to do a really good performance. And, and oh, oh, Van Damme. I, I honestly wondered if, a lot of the other people in this film who have not great acting, like a lot of the, the folks in the roles, they're hired for their martial arts capability and their looks, I think, more than their acting talent. Yeah, they found a lot of pretty punches. Right. Um, and so as, as a result of that, your expectations have to be a little lower. But I can't help but think that a lot of those guys were on set the first day and they saw Jean-Claude Van Damme, who, you know, this is, he's he's a successful entity at this point. This is uh, a few years after Bloodsport. He's already done Cyborg. Um, yeah, I mean, he could he could have a lot of, in, in as far as action films go, he, he could pick and choose a role. Yeah, he had options. And um, so I think, the uh, a lot of the other cast saw what Van Damme was was bringing to the table and they thought, oh, that's what we're doing. 
Yeah. Because there's a lot of people that have pretty stilted performances that I think probably wouldn't have been so apparent if Van Damme wasn't, like, leading a charge in that direction. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he, he... Basically, Van Damme is like a virus on any on any set. Yeah. His, his bad acting spreads. I bet Kylie Minogue was really good at acting before she met him. <laughs> she doesn't get a lot to work with here either. She's uh, in the Cammy. film. She's in the film just because she's Kylie, Kylie Minogue, I think. Well, and they needed Cammy. They did. They had to get her in somewhere. That's something else that, you know, credit where credit's due. They got all of the characters in. Yeah, barring Li Fang, who was replaced by... Well, uh, Li Fang, a, I don't think Li Fang came along until later. No, he was in it by that point, in the in the games. Because he, he was introduced at the same time as Cammy and T-Hawk in Street Fighter 2 The New Challenges. Mm, really? I'm fairly certain. That way? Huh. I think they were the three... They're, 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 no, four... Because it was DJ, sorry, DJ, Cammy, T-Hawk, and Lee Fang. Hmm. They all came in at the same time. Hmm. He's the only one missing out of the original 16. Well, he's the he's, only one not in He's it. replaced with uh, Captain Sawada, who is a, a, a character that is playable in the, in, in the licensing rabbit hole that is uh, Street Fighter the movie, the game. Yeah. Um, and that guy, all of his lines were dubbed in. Both of them, I it, should say. It, sh- it shows. Uh, both of them, because he does, just doesn't speak much English, apparently. But he was intended to be a going thing. In they the wanted him fight. in more games, yeah. yeah. He was intended, and he does appear in the animated series in a few episodes, apparently. Um, which, maybe maybe we'll do that at some point. I, oh, I yeah, we'll, 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 we'll hit some of the animated stuff, yeah, sure. Um, um, but, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the thing that really gets me about it is... Uh, how did they think there's franchise potential in in that character? I, I, I don't, they don't even give him like any screen time. Yeah, he got practically nothing uh, to work with. They there. might as well have just called him like Captain Lee Fang. But, then, but, yeah, but anyway, yeah. that's besides the point. Um, there are some other really standout performances. I think. I think E Honda was good. I think E Honda's excellent. I think Zangief. And Balrog was good as well. Zangief is excellent. I'm not that keen on Balrog. I, no, yeah. I thought he. I didn't. He didn't blow me away, but I thought he was. He was good. He just. You know. He's, I liked He's it. in it. I think that's by virtue of so little of him being in it, because right. he just he doesn't get a lot of opportunity to speak. And there are a couple of points, like when he's doing the interrogation in the locker room, it's really just. He's basically watching E Honda. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. No, DJ... no, I, well, I was actually, I was actually talking about like when he, when the table turns after he's got his boxing gloves, he's beating up a guy to try and find out where the refugees are. Oh right, right, um, right. And that's pretty stiff. But let's talk about that interrogation scene between E Honda and because there's a first of it's hilarious. Uh, you have the uh, interrogator trying to cane E Honda, who's picking his teeth and just ignoring it, and that's fun. Um, and the guard leaves to go get some other implement of torture in, you know, to, to work him over with. And DJ and Ihonda have this conversation. And, D, or not, not DJ, um, Balrog. Balrog Racist. and Ihonda have this conversation. And What was that? Nothing. Carry on. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm, I'm about to screw it up again now, thanks. Balrog asks EJ, uh, Ihonda... Uh, to give him a hand. You were going to call him EJ. I... <laughs> <laughs> Do 
DJ wasn't in this scene, Conrad. <laughs> Balrog asks E-Honda to give him a hand. And I love this because it's so subtle that it would be overlooked. But E-Honda says, we've only been in here two hours. Talk to me again, uh, maybe next month. It's a masturbation joke. Ah, that actually went over my head. It's a masturbation joke. And I'm a big fan of wank jokes. It's a wank joke. Wow. They managed to fit a wank joke in there. This food, this film has everything. It does. It has it all. I, That's so, so good. So if you missed the wank joke, go back. There we go. Have a wank joke. Um, e -hon, uh, e now I'm doing it. <laughs> DJ. <laughs> There's so many characters. There are. In fact. Yes, yes. DJ and Zangief. Fucking brilliant double acts. Yes. Oh, the 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 pairing of the super smart ex Microsoft employee with Zangief. Uh, yeah, just the, the 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 looks he gives Zangief every time Zangief says something stupid, like when the the weapons were about to blow up and he's like, "Quick, change the channel," and it wasn't with the weapons, but something bad's happening and Zangief wants it to stop. But he thinks if you change the channel, the bad thing won't happen and. He does it several times. DJ just gives him this look of sheer exasperated contempt. It's, and it's incredible. It's glorious. And I love DJ as like, because it's pretty obvious the whole way through. He's not in it for any other reason than a paycheck. It's his job. Yeah. yeah like he, he doesn't care about Bison's, you know, ideals or anything like that. Yeah, And so you see him witness bison do this big grand monologue about his plans and he just sits there emotionless he's not he's not really yeah. interested like he doesn't Zangief care next to him tears in his eyes Zangief's like crying at this maniacal speech because he thinks it's he genuinely thinks bison is awesome and again dj just staring at him just it's it's really good and they were they were good performances and well written and even though they've got no plot relevance at all apart from Zangief's like last bit um they are integral to the film mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no they're mm -hmm. they're absolutely critical as uh, unlike t-hawk and cammy yes t-hawk's one bit of backstory is at one point while they're being stealthy and sneaky guile just very loudly says right next to a guard that they're, they're about to take out hey what's with the headband it's a cherokee thing isn't it all right, fair enough. Let's go back to the plot. And they're, they're not the exact words they use, well, it, but that's it, more or less it. T-Hawk's uh, a Mexican character. Yes. So, racists. Yeah. Who's the real racist? It is not us. Um, the uh, fun fact, the chef, uh, the cook that's left behind, he's the only AN uh, soldier that stayed behind and didn't go uh, commit war crimes. <laughs> with Guile. Uh, that's Edward R. Pressman, the uh, producer of the film. Excellent. Uh, in a Excellent. cameo appearance. Uh, now, one thing I want to do, one thing I want to talk about is um, the elements of faith to the actual game. Because there's a lot of them in there. Mm -hmm. uh, it, again, like the, the film is impressive in how it's so radically different from the game in broad strokes, but there are so many little touches in there. Bro you know. Broad strokes being things like no real fighting until no, the no last street fighting yeah no fighting no tournament like no, nothing fundamental uh, so many things have changed um but then you get little bits like when zangief and e honda are about to fight and e honda does the the video game e honda's pose you know puts the arms out cracks his neck and it's exactly the fucking thing mm -hmm. and 
in the fights, it's like blink and you miss it things almost. But in the fights, like almost everyone gets their moves off. Yeah. Yeah. Vega twice does his rolling claw. Um, you get uh, uh, Ryu does a Hadouken and Ken does a Dragon Punch. Yeah, yeah. They they all get their little bits. It's and it's, it's and the Dragon incredible. Punch. The Dragon Punch is performed on Sagat, which right there another yeah wrong character doing it. But there you know another but it was the move. Yeah, on the and, right character. Um, you know, you've got the, I think it's the Megaton Punch he does, that Bison does. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty much everyone, and, and of course M. Bison has his... Uh, Psycho Crusher. The, the Psycho Crusher. Uh, so everyone gets their little nods, and uh, there's there's all lots of little Easter eggs and things, like I say, about, you know, all the Bison hats are all the same colours of his alternate costumes. Um, and talking of costumes, now, this is something that, that Anthony Birch uh, dissected once, uh, back when he was on uh, Destructoid. Um, but it is my favourite overall element of the film rather than individual scenes or performances uh the one sort of one thing i truly love about the film so much is how hard it works to have these characters who are not dressed in any way like their video game counterparts and how hard it works to get them looking like them by the end of the film yes i mean it would have been easier to have just started with everyone looking like they do in the game but that's that's too easy for this film. This film sets itself a challenge. Well, this film with the ex- this film sets itself as a prologue. Pretty much. I mean, it if anything, this this whole film story, like everything about, you know, the AN aid workers and uh, people's motivations and the 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 attack on on the base, that's all filler for the real story, which is the this film explains at last how everyone got their costumes. Yeah. That's the real plot of this film <laughs> is how everyone got their costumes. With the exception of M. Bison and Vega, everyone has to earn their costumes. Um, everyone's dressed differently. You've got E. Honda, you know, he's in a Hawaiian shirt and shorts. Uh, Chun-Li has several different clothing options until she's put in a Chun-Li style dress by Bison. Um, uh, Sagat is in suits for most of the film, but his shirt gets lost while he's swimming, and he's got the scar that Sagat has that we don't see until the very end when he's, he finds all, you know, the trunk full of bison dollars. Um, Guile's shirt ends up being taken off. There wasn't too much we needed to worry about with that one. Um, what else have we got? Ryu and Ken get given training geese from Bison's uh, private soldier training area, and so they get dressed in the appropriate thing. Uh, Zangief's clothes come off during a fight, and he's got all of the really deliberately fake cartoony scars all over his body. Which they they, um, they are in some scenes and not in others that follow. Yeah, which we is don't fantastic. worry about it. Like when he's we, when he's holding open the door, his skin is like like milk it's like it's gorgeous <laughs> it's perfect and smooth against his taut rugged muscles uh, yeah so. Dal sim's clothes and hair are melted off by the dna mutagens mm-hmm. um blanca you know, becomes blanca yeah t-hawk wears his headdress his headband thing for no reason um <laughs> cammy you know, uh eventually goes from full fatigues to uh hot uh to tights and um uh, tank top yeah so pretty much Everyone gets, and then uh, obviously the final shot of the film is them. Oh, Captain Sawada gets into his AN aid worker, his AN soldier's uniform. You, you yes. wouldn't want to get that detail wrong. Oh, we wouldn't. 
God, I, I, I honestly, as a long-time Street Fighter hardcore fan, I'd have been furious if they'd have gotten that bit of cannon fucked up. Um, and yeah, it all ends with them striking their victory poses from the game, and they're all with their they're costumes. All perfect. Uh, yeah, amazing. they are. They are perfect. I mean, seeing Guile's victory pose in real life makes it look a bit silly. Um, but otherwise, it's all good. You know, you've got Cammy looking over her shoulder. You've got Chun-Li jumping. You've got Zangief pointing up in the air in the background. Like, it's it's brilliant just how all these relatively normally dressed people end up looking like their, their game counterparts with various, you know, some easier than others. Some require huge leaps of logic and sense to work. But it gets there. And that's the message is no, you, you just keep your head down and you, you, you go for it. You think, right. And I think this is what Annie Birch once pointed out was like, they started with that final pose and had to write backwards. <laughs> that's the only way it works. You think, right. Everyone's got to look like this. Let's write the film backwards. Brilliant. It's brilliant. Otherwise, how would we know? How would we know? How, like the story of how Sagat lost his shirt and never wore another one again. <laughs> it's a good film, Jim. It's a it's a fucking fine film. I'm 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 very very glad that we decided. Like this makes the last three films we watched worthwhile. Should have started with this one. We should have. We we made a an error in judgment. Schoolboy so, error. That's uh, poor Rookie poor mistake. choice. Now, um, Vega, played by Jay Tavari. He's, he's still working, because when we did this, when we recorded this last time, we commented that a lot, you know, the, the, the cast here is mostly unknown people, and, and, you know, and that we never see again. But, Jay Tavari, the guy who plays Vegas, still working, he's had some small roles in Adaptation in Cold Mountain, and Human Centipede 3. <laughs> he's Inmate 346 in Human Centipede 3. So, if you desperately needed a reason to watch Human Centipede 3... Oh, I bet he's not as beautiful. I, I'm tempted to see what Vega's looking like these days. Yeah. Because he he's a gorgeous man. He was, he was a beautiful, beautiful... Like I say, he was a premium boy in, that, in Street Fighter. And, and good for Zangief, uh, Andrew uh, Bernyarski, he got to play Leatherface. In the 2003 remake of Texas Chainsaw oh, Massacre. Oh, shit! That yeah, was him! That's him. I, I love that remake. Yeah. That's, that, that's a remake I actually, like... I mean, I thought the first Texas Chainsaw was... It's brilliant as an unintentional comedy. Right. Unlike Rush Hour. Uh, but I, I really like the remake. It's, that's awesome. Good for him. Yeah, so, you know, some, some other people got out of this unscathed. And, of course, Sawada went on to have a thrilling oh, career a as a video game character. Huge career. Huge. I mean, he's 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 more or less Capcom's mascot at this point. <sighs> and Raul Julia, of course, is uh, that was his final film. And and every time I watch it, I just think how fucking tragic it is that he we never got more Raul Julia because he was he was a fucking master at what he did. He is well. I mean, I mean it helps that he was the cultural touchstone of the time for the Adams family. But he is Gomez Adams in my mind. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it just absolutely is gomez adams and uh i haven't even watched the tim curry adams family movie because i don't want i don't want that spoiled for me yeah raul julia is gomez and that's just the way it is god damn it 
Yeah, I won't hear anything else. Oh, what a talent. So, Jim. Yes. What's next? Well, oh dear. You forgot, didn't um, you? No, I know what it is. I just don't want to say it. Oh, dear. I just don't want to say it and ruin... Ruin, ruin the, the good feeling will. that we have here. Yeah. Oh. I've got a big smile on my face, but as soon as I say Hitman from 2007, oh. I'm sad. Now I'm sad. Yeah, next time. Next time the movie boys convene. <laughs> um, it's going to be the 2007... Now, bear in mind, there's, there's more than one Hitman film. How? This is the... <laughs> Square Enix. It, it's going to be the 2007 Hitman film. Okay. I've never seen this one. I mean, I haven't seen any of the Hitman films, and I barely played the games. It's, uh, I can never get on with them. But that's the one. That's the one. I wanted something a bit contemporary. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I try. I, I don't want to follow a trend. And maybe, maybe something... otherwise you end up with three zombie films in the room. Yeah, yeah. Well, we don't. We don't want to follow this up with a fighting thing. And it'd be nice to have. Like, I'm hoping. I'm hoping Hitman's a movie that only has like five key characters. That would that would make the, the, the synopsis part go a lot quicker. It'd be a nice change of pace to not have to track yeah. the events of, like, you know, 14 different people. They were really complicated, those old video game movies. They were. They were. They were. I mean, you just wait till we get to fucking Double Dragon. Oh, do we have to? Oh, we, we will. <laughs> um, but yes, next time it will be uh, Hitman 2007, so get that watched. you got two weeks, and... Uh, if you want more of us in the interim, well, me and Conrad do a comedy podcast together, Fist Shark, uh, Fist Shark Marketing. Uh, you can find out more about that at fistshark.com. It's an improvised uh, comedy podcast. It's uh, very good, if I do say so myself. Um, you can see more of Conrad at The Escapist, or you can follow him uh, on Twitter, at Conrad Zimmerman, and his YouTube channel, Conrad Zimmerman. As for me, well, you, you should know what I'm doing, um, but otherwise, why are you here? <laughs> like, like, honestly, why? What's the point? I ask myself that question over and over. Again. <laughs> Says the man who's going to have to sit there and take notes while watching Hitman. <laughs> you do it to yourself. I, I don't take notes. Uh, if I didn't take notes, I wouldn't remember any of it. I try to <laughs> shut it all out. I got to compartmentalize this shit, man. Mm-hmm. It's with me all the time. <laughs> uh, right. Thank you all for listening. Um, Don't forget Hitman next time, and we will see you, well, next time. Goodbye. Right. Right. You didn't want to say goodbye. Uh, uh, Oh. Bye. Okay. (laughs) Be, Be polite to your listeners.